Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com slash recommend today. As is customary on a Tuesday, it's time to bring on my guy, Christian Fowler at C. Fowler BCM on X, senior writer and content creator for Bluff City Media. We have a podcast called the On the Bluff Podcast that releases every single uh, Tuesday at noon. You can find it on Apple, Spotify, also full-length video version on YouTube. Christian, what's happening, brother? How are you? I'm doing wonderful, Gabe. How are you? I am doing well. I am doing well. I'm just trying to follow all this news today. Um... Let's see. Tom Telesco hired as the GM for the Chargers. That's or for the Raiders after being fired by the Chargers. That's funny. Adrian Griffin fired by the uh, Bucks. Or yeah, and then Doc Rivers maybe the next guy in there. Um, what have, what have you been doing today? Just been hanging around. Oh yeah, yep, yeah. just hanging around a little bit. But I do want to. <laughs> you said it about the Tom Telesco. Yes, isn't that isn't that just I that? That's wild. I thought that was hilarious. That is absolutely a Raiders move if I've ever seen it. Like they just go from bad decision to bad decision. I don't I don't mind the Antonio Pierce decision at all. I'm not calling that a bad decision, but just overarching over the last several years, it's been so many bad decisions and hiring Tom Telesco makes zero sense. <laughs> I mean the Chargers have historically underperformed over right. his tenure. They have not been good despite the talent on their roster with Tom Telesco. And now the Raiders bring him in, with, with I, which what I think is a pretty promising head coaching candidate and Antonio Pierce of what he did down the stretch. And I just don't know. I don't know that move doesn't well, make any sense to me. you got to love Mark Davis. He, uh, he, he hired Antonio Pierce against his uh, sort of normal thought process because the players forced him to. Uh, last time around, they wanted Rich Bisaccia. He decided, decided to uh, hire... Josh McDaniels instead, and that was a uh, disaster. So they they get the uh, head coaching hire, he gets the GM hire, um, and it's miserable. And the fact that I look at that Chargers roster uh, that Tom Telesco had where he overpaid Joey Bosa, Derwin James, um, let me keep going here, Khalil Mack, uh, J.C. Jackson, that was was embarrassing. Um, And they never reached any level of playoff success. I don't get how you make that higher in this particular moment. And it's it's also really hard to find a bunch of GMs who get fired at certain spots making a a comeback. Like this is this is honestly a rarity for another another uh, a GM to get a second gig this quickly. Yeah, it's it's very rare and I mean there's some I guess there's some good things you can say about what happened with the Chargers while he was there if you point specifically towards like the players they brought in and stuff but how how you know how much is the GM on that? It it varies from situation to situation and from team to team. But I mean, they 
draft Joey Bosa, Derwin James, Justin Herbert, uh, bring in Austin Eckler as an undrafted free agent. They, they've had some really good draft picks. So you, you can't really say anything about that. But if you just look at the J.C. Jackson decision alone, that should be enough to at least make you cautious. Yeah. And Mark Davis is anything but and just continues to go all in on questionable GMs and head coaches. You look at Mike Mayock, who has really <laughs> right. no experience. He flopped really hard. Josh McDaniels, who had proven in the past that head coaching probably wasn't for him with the Denver Broncos, went back to that. Uh, John Gruden, we know everything that went down with John Gruden in that organization and just overall what he he did. So, uh, I, I don't know. It, it makes no sense. And like you said, for a GM to get fired and get a second job, like that's something that just doesn't happen very much. They will probably pop up somewhere else at some point in a different role just to be involved. But a, a lateral move as a GM when you failed as one doesn't really make sense. It'd be like firing a head coach and then him getting hired somewhere else if he wasn't successful. We've seen that happen, obviously, if a coach is somewhere too long. We're talking about Bill Belichick right now in that situation. Mike McCarthy was in that situation. But for someone to be unsuccessful at their job, get fired and then hired in the same role <laughs> – that is uh, that's beyond me. And he's the guy who stuck by Brandon Staley for an extra year, right? Against <laughs> right. against realistic, you know, like what what they should have done. I mean, it's 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 wild. And also, he goes to a place that just beat him not too long ago, beat a team that he was involved with that led to his firing. To be honest with you, um, right? Sixty three twenty one. So that's where he ends up landing on the team that uh that that absolutely slaughtered him and uh led to his ousting led to his firing that's fun that's fun in itself elsewhere i want to talk divisional round with you because your goat was in uh was in action and i think uh most people's modern day goat patrick mahomes what he's been able to do man um as far as his playoff success before he even turns 30 he's only 28 years old he now has the most playoff wins before 30 um, I mean, the stats just keep going. He's first in so many different categories with qualifying quarterbacks that have had 10 or more playoff starts. It is unbelievable what he's been able to accomplish, man. It just doesn't seem to stop. Um, I know that there's probably going to be a, a day of reckoning here soon. Maybe when Travis Kelsey decides to retire, they're going to have to figure out how they're going to um, you know, rethink what they do on the offensive side of the ball without him. But as long as you have that guy that wears number 15, it feels like you're okay. Absolutely. And I know it's like cool and trendy this year to hate Patrick Mahomes because of all uh, everything going on with the Chiefs. I know people like to make fun of the Taylor Swift stuff and stuff about you know his family and people call them annoying and they, people have started calling him whiny this year and stuff like that. So it, there's been like a weird villain turn from fans on Patrick Mahomes this year. And I guess I get it from from a casual sense, but I just think if you truly love the game and you truly watch the game of football, I don't know how you can hate Patrick Mahomes. Like, I just don't know how you can watch Patrick Mahomes and despise what he does because you're watching greatness. And I get it. You know, we, we we did the same thing with Tom Brady, so we can call it a similarity. And Patrick Mahomes is growing into that Tom Brady role where everybody hates him because of his success. But... Brady was on no and nowhere near the talent level of Patrick Mahomes. Like Patrick Mahomes does things that no one in the league's ever done. He truly is a generational talent. Tom Brady wasn't a generational talent. He was a generational 
leader and just mindset type of player, Patrick Mahomes is a generational talent. And what he's done in the playoffs in his career, he's now 13-3 and in the playoffs, which is absolutely insane. Uh, in those 16 games, four, nearly 4,500 passing yards, nearly 500 rushing yards, 43 total touchdowns to seven interceptions with 107 uh, quarterback rating. It just, it, it's absurd, the amount of success that he's had. And I, I don't want to say like people have propped up things against him and be like, this is why he's so good, but there always is that sense of prove it, I, I guess, when you have really good players like Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey on your team. Last year he did it. He won a Super Bowl without without Tyreek Hill, which was pretty impressive. And then this year is the most impressive because Travis Kelsey hasn't been Travis Kelsey. He struggled this season. He truly looked like he's lost a step. And then you look around the rest of that receiving core. Marquez Valdez-Scantling, not impressive. McCall um, Hardman, who they brought back after the Jets cut, not impressive. Kadarius Toney, laughably bad. Uh, Rushy Rice. Down the stretch of the last six or seven games was really good, but that's a rookie wide receiver, a rookie second round pick. Justin Watson, not great. Like it, they're just devoid of talent as far as passing weapons go, and it showed this year with that team. Like Patrick Mahomes wasn't elite; his numbers weren't elite like they typically have been. Twenty seven touchdowns to fourteen interceptions, which is is nothing crazy at all. But then the playoffs come around, and he turns into Superman again. And uh, weirdly enough, like this is something that me and my friends have talked about since I think his first or second year in the league when he went to the playoffs. I think it was maybe after the the comeback against the Texans in the playoffs several years ago when the Texans went up, what was it, 21-0 or 28-0, and they came back and beat them by 30 points. We started talking about the MJ stuff. Like he just – it's the clutch ability. It's it, it, the if you're if you're in a if you're in a bad position if you're backed up back up against the wall, like Patrick Mahomes has pretty much always made a play in those moments. Like yep. there's, I, I can't really think of a time in a big game situation where he's floundered, and it been solely on him not making a play. Like you even look at the uh, the AFC Championship game against the Patriots where they lost in his first season as a starter. That game was not on him at all. Like there's, mm-hmm. he did everything he could in that situation. The Super Bowl against the Bucks that he lost, no I line. Mean, and literally, he did not have more than two or three seconds every time he dropped back to throw the ball. So there's just very few moments in his career where he's floundered. And then you look at going into this game, everybody's like I said, the hate. Everybody's excited that he's going into his first road playoff game against the Bills team that's been red hot. This is finally when Patrick Mahomes loses and he comes out. And you look at the stats, they're not gaudy, but he was nearly perfect in this game. He made some ridiculous highlight reel throws like he always does, managed the game well. I think Andy Reid called a good game, um, trying to keep the ball away from the Bills as much as possible, running Isaiah Pacheco a little bit more. And he did it again, six seasons as a starter, six straight AFC championship game appearances to start his career is is unheard of. That's just those are just things that don't happen. Yeah, he grabbed the torch from Tom Brady. The 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 torch where you feel like okay, everything is telling me that his team should lose. Everything is telling me that the other the team on the other sidelines more talented and should win this game. But you feel dumb if you bet against him at this point. Like he's grabbed that torch from Tom Brady, where it's like I just I 
I don't know how he he's going to get it done in the end of the day, but he will get it done. You just have that that level of of confidence that he will be able to in the end of the day prevail and win ball games in the playoffs, even when everything's sort of stacked against him. Now, I don't want to take anything away from you know Andy Reid and Travis Kelsey um, in a number two defense that he had all year, but if you have that guy at, as as your leader. If you have that guy running your offense, you just it, it feels dumb to bet against him. Absolutely. I mean, I saw something the other day talking about what pretty much any other quarterback in the league outside of a few names would look like with this Chiefs roster. Mm-hmm. And the Chiefs would probably have a top 10 pick if 95% right. of the quarterbacks in the league were their quarterback. I mean, just look at the NFC Championship game, for example. If you give the Chiefs Brock Purdy or Jerry Goff, they're they're picking in the top ten. And I can almost guarantee you that there's just not much talent on this team. I know the defense has been outstanding this year. They really have. But even you look around that defense, like it's not like there's a bunch of star power on that defense. I, I think a lot of credit is is deserved to be given to Steve Spagnuolo, yep. who is historically just a really incredible defensive coordinator. He doesn't get enough credit for what he's done in his tenure with the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, a lot of people remember his tenure with the New York Giants, obviously the Super Bowls that he won there. But what he's done in Kansas City is even more impressive because he just had very little talent on that defense the entire time that he's been there. Uh, I mean, Chris Jones has obviously been the staple, but outside of that, it's basically a secondary they've drafted in the last two years that have gelled really well together. None of them have been very high-round picks outside of Trent McDuffie, who has developed into an all-pro nickel corner in his second year in the league. But then you look around, LeJarrius Sneed, late-round pick, all their safeties, uh, late-round or undrafted guys for the most part. Linebackers, Willie Gay and Nick Bolton, who I I think are both incredible players, have both had injuries throughout this season. Nick Bolton missed a a substantial amount of time through this year. So it's not like this defense is just star-studded and has pro bowlers everywhere, but they've been really good. And, and yes, credit is deserved to be given there. Nobody like Patrick Mahomes is obviously the, the, the best player on the team, but you have to give credit to the defense for what they've done this year. They've been incredible. But still, without him, they are a bottom-10 team in the league in my mind. Yeah. Now I I uh, look at this uh, AFC Championship coming up on Sunday, and this is one of those games. I talked about Tom Brady passing the torch of okay, I I have to um, completely go against my my natural thought, my common sense thought, because I think the Ravens are the most complete team left in the entire picture of the NFL right now. Lamar Jackson going to win a second MVP. They've been great offensively. They looked really good against the Texans. Defensively, Mike McDonald uh, is phenomenal, and they've had a, a, they have a bunch of talent on that side of the ball. They've been very, very good. Uh, but at the same time, like, how do you see that going? How do you see that going? Can, can the Chiefs pull out a win? I mean, the, the answer obviously is yes, they can, but will they be able to, in your opinion? Yeah, it, it, that's difficult to me because, uh, like you said, the Ravens on paper are the best team. Let, and not even on paper. They've been the best team in the NFL this year. Which I just talked about the Chiefs defense who have a lot of guys that have gelled together, and I think they have a lot of really good coaching. You look at the Ravens defense, there are dudes everywhere. I mean, they have two of the four or five best linebackers in Roquan the game. Roquan Smith probably. and Patrick Queen. 
Yep. Yes, absolutely. And we talk we talk so much about Fred Warner and Dre Greenlaw as the best duo in the league. And I don't disagree with that. I think they're both incredible. But Roquan and Patrick Queen don't get enough credit. I think if you called Roquan Smith the best linebacker in the game, I would not argue at all, even though I'm a huge Fred Warner fan. So you start there, and then you look around. Marlon Humphrey, Justin Matabuke has been incredible this year. That defense is is oozing with talent, and it starts with them in the linebacker core. But they're good everywhere. It's the Ravens. They're always good defensively. I can't really remember a time outside of maybe a year or two over my lifetime where the Ravens have been just bad defensively. And they're elite again, one of the best defenses of all of all time statistically this season. And then offensively, I, I think Todd Munkin's done an incredible job. I, I've, I've been critical of Lamar Jackson in the past. Um, I, I just don't think he was being used in the best way. Yeah, I, I think what what you see this year is they have spread it out. They have allowed openings for him, not only in the running game and the passing game, to get players involved in the short game obviously their weaponry is a little bit better this year but in the past they just wanted to line up run the ball stay tight and it just i don't know to me even though lamar had the incredible season outside of that year it never looked right to me because he never looked fully comfortable but you watch him in todd monken system in year one i think he looks the most comfortable that he's ever been uh despite the fact that they really don't have any of their top tier running backs on their roster right now due to injury Mm-hmm. Uh, Keaton Mitchell and J.K. Dobbins both out this year. And the running game has been incredible. They've been the best running team in the league. And a lot of that falls on the offensive line and what they've done up front. Kevin Zeitler, Tyler Linderbaum have been incredible this year. But Todd Munkin deserves a lot of credit for that. Um, and they also have Dalvin Cook in the fold. And they got him involved a little bit last week against the Texans. But you look at that and you say, okay, with this offensive line, with this quarterback that can run the ball and always a threat with his feet, if they can get Dalvin Cook going and right. get him, you know, kind of entrenched in this playbook, it's going to be it's going to be even tougher to stop this team. So on paper, the Ravens should win this game. They're the better team. They have a better defense. They have a better offense. They pretty much win in in every area except one, and it's quarterback. And there's not many quarterbacks right now you could stack up against Lamar and say they're better than him. Overall, I know this season Lamar's been better. But the great equalizer is Patrick Mahomes. Yep. And so I'm, I was, you, you won't be surprised if the Chiefs win this game because of him. He would have to play out of his mind and have an incredible game. But it's certainly not out of the realm of possibility. If I had to put money on something, I'd probably put it on the Ravens just because it makes sense for them to win. If anybody's going to beat the Chiefs, it's going to be a good defensive team. This is a great defensive team. They've shut down pretty much everybody they've played this year. They've been incredible against teams above 500. I think 10 wins against teams above 500, which is an NFL record. But still, at the end of the day, if he's on one of those heaters where he can't be stopped, it's hard to see the Chiefs losing. Yep. Now, I uh, we talked about this around the uh, national championship in college football where Michigan uh, won 15 straight games, won a national championship behind a good offensive line, good defense. They ran inside zone and duo and just ran the ball directly to a national championship. This is going to put the whole thing to the test and where we're at in football. If the Ravens and the 49ers are able to get through, that is number one and number two uh, in run play percentage in the NFL, both of those uh, got, both of those teams respectively. And then defensively, they're both sort of top five, uh, top seven groups. This is going to put it to the test, isn't it? 
Yeah, absolutely. But let's not forget the Detroit Lions like to run the football and play smash mouth football as well. I know their defense isn't elite as those two teams, but the Lions like to control the clock. They like to run the ball and let Jared Goff kind of pick his spots when they take shots downfield and use their receiving weapons. They are built around the run. So there really are three teams left that are run first teams that are that are looking to advance to the Super Bowl, which if you thought about that four or five years ago, you would say that that's, uh, you know, that's insane. That makes no sense. But just like we talked about with the national championship, just like we talked about with Michigan, old becomes new again. Yep. And we're seeing that at, at both levels. And you look at what those three teams specifically do is they use the run to set up the pass. They love to run the ball. And you really look at the two NFC teams don't have – the best quarterbacks in the league optically. I know statistically they're both top five in passing yards and passing touchdowns this year, but they're not on the level of Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes. They're not in that conversation, but because those teams are so good defensively or for the 49ers, because they're so good defensively in both of those teams, because they can run the ball so well, they've been very successful this year and they're playing four spot in the Super Bowl. The Ravens are just good all around. Yep. It's really hard to pick a hole in the Ravens. The only team that is the outlier is the Chiefs. They have not been an incredible running team this year. They've had moments where they're really good. But once again, it's it's the great equalizer. So, yes, we talked about this in college football. There are still going to be cases where an elite quarterback can lift you up and prop you up into a position to win a championship. But as of right now, today, where we stand, like playing good defense and running the ball, controlling the clock, seems to be the equation once again as it was for so long to success. Yeah, but you got to own it. You absolutely have to own it and you have to uh you have to have that edge and I think three of the four teams like you mentioned have that edge. Now give me your uh championship Sunday picks then we'll talk a little Tiger basketball. All right. So I I want to pick the Chiefs just cuz I don't like going against Patrick Mahomes. But it's tough. I guess I'll start with the NFC. I'm going to go Lions just because I'm I'm full board on the Lions bandwagon. Um, you and I have been on it since the off season, really since last year. We were big fans of the Lions last year. With how competitive competitive they were down the stretch, they knocked the Packers out of the playoffs. They looked like one of the better teams in football down the last probably five or six games of the year last season. Been really good this year. It's just a great story. Um, for a team that has never won a Super Bowl, has not been to an NFC Championship game in just 30 years. Right. Like, for them to get this opportunity is awesome. So it's hard not to root for the Lions. The 49ers have been to, what, like six consecutive NFC Championship games and not gotten there. So let's let's see them lose again, and let's see the Lions get in. I'd That'd say be my ideal Super Bowl – my ideal Super Bowl would be Lions, Chiefs, but I believe it, if I had to bet on it, I'd say it would be the Lions and the Ravens. Yep, I hear you. Talking with Christian Fowler at C. Fowler, BCM, senior writer and content creator for Bluff City Media. Now on to uh, Tiger basketball, 15-4, and four, two straight losses, quad three and quad two, South Florida, and then they followed it up with a loss at Tulane. Now in a, in a vacuum, um, I don't lose my mind, um, but it's not in a vacuum because Penny Hardaway has spoken up on some real ills with this team, team chemistry-wise. Um, I think he's the only coach I've ever heard really step up to the presser and say, I can't play certain groups because we have personality clashes between certain guys on this team. Like, when we talk about concerns going forward, that's at the top of the list. And um, what what do you think they can do to sort of switch this around? What do you think they can do to get back to where they were in the non-con? 
I said it last week on here, and I'll say it again. Like, they have to find a way to be as motivated for every single boring, inferior, in-conference opponent as they were for Clemson and Virginia and all the tough uh, Texas A&M, all the tough out-of-conference games that they played. If they can do that, I wouldn't be surprised if they won out. If they can't, I won't be surprised if they lose three or four more games this year which is unfortunate because this is not a team that should lose eight or nine games after they went into conference play with two losses. There's no way that that should happen. This team should, uh, what, four or five losses at absolute worst? And, right. just, and here we are with four. Here they are with four um, after losing two games that they should have won against opponents that they're better than. And so if they can find a way just to bring that motivation every game, if they can treat every game like it is, primetime ESPN against the top 25 opponent and the whole country's watching and talking about them, they can win every game on the rest of their schedule. If they don't find a way to do that, then Memphis is probably going to be right back in that eight and nine game, which is so important for them to avoid. They don't have to potentially play at number one seed in the second round. We talk about this every year. It feels like, and then you get these comments and they're extremely concerning. Because it, it, this isn't a one-off. Like this has happened multiple years that Penny Hardaway has been here, and I know that this happens in a lot of places all over the country. You get egos now. You have NIL with money involved. Like, of course, there are going to be differences in a locker room. Of course, there are going to be players that don't get along. But the fact that it has to be aired out every year, I just, I, I don't know. I don't like that. I feel like it makes everybody tight. It makes the entire fan base feel like the team hates each other. Uh, it, it just worries people. And so now when Memphis has issues, when Memphis has problems on the floor, you'll have fans, you'll have analysts pointing around and saying, okay, these are clearly the players that don't like each other or don't want to be on the floor right. together because they're never on the floor together. And if they are, the team is very unsuccessful, even though they shouldn't be because these are two really talented players. So the comments are concerning because you want you want your team to be operating at full capacity. You want everybody – on board you want everybody on the same page clearly in some of these games they have not been even some of these games that they've won uh, against inferior opponents against utsa uh, and a couple of these other games they just have looked out of sync i don't know how much the chemistry plays into that because there's been so many games where they look in sync and they all are in games where they they are a little bit more important quote unquote from the outside looking in whether it be against a top 25 team, whether it be nationally televised, whether it be in a game against Wichita State where there's a player on your team that transferred from Wichita State, so there's clearly motivation for that player and everyone else around him that are his brothers in the locker room. So I don't know. I, I, I think winning cures all. And I really think that's, that's the thing right now. Things are going to get ugly if you keep losing games. If you win games, people will forget about this and you'll move on. Mm-hmm. Now I think that there is a uh, there's something out there that I definitely latch on to, and people have talked tried to come up with reasons why they're struggling, especially on the defensive end. And people will come up with Caleb Mills, and I think offensively, him coming off the bench, what he was able to do um, in orchestrating and knocking down open shots, that was phenomenal as well. But it, it's got to, I mean, it's deeper than just what he brought on the floor, right? Like that's clearly what I'm seeing. They have not played the same. At the same level since he left, but it's clearly not just you're not just missing his on court presence. There's something deeper there. And Penny Hardaway sort of mentioned it at his radio show yesterday. They're missing 
sort of his presence um, on the sideline when they're in timeouts. Um, they, they're missing some guy stepping up and saying things when things need to be said, um, bringing intensity. And, and Caleb Mills, that's more missed than anything I feel like on the floor he brought. Yeah, I think Penny called him the emotional leader of the team, and now they don't have that. Which I guess I get. Now you've got to have some time to transition and for somebody to step up. But some, like that has to end now. Like They have to know that someone has to step up. And with all the veteran experience that they have on this team, with guys that have played three, four, five years at the collegiate level and have been in multiple different locker rooms and have been leaders at multiple different stops, like there's no reason why this basketball team should not have a quote-unquote emotional leader and someone that's willing to step up in those times. I'm not saying no one is willing to step up, but someone has to do it. Like someone has to just take control of it and step up and say, "You look, look, I know Caleb was that guy, and he centered us, and he calmed everybody down, and he got everybody in the right position, but now I have to be that guy. Like somebody has to wear that for this team because they're clearly missing that right now. You can see that on the floor. You can see that at times. Uh, in the huddles and in timeouts, but they have to be on the same page. For this team to accomplish what they should accomplish this year, for this team to be as good as they should be the rest of this year, yes, things have to change on the floor in certain aspects, but more than anything, it is the leadership perspective. It's having an emotional leader. It's having someone that's going to stay even keeled and bring everybody together and not cause divisiveness on on the floor in those difficult moments when you're trailing or when you're in a close game. It's tight. It's late in the game. Like, you have to have someone that's going to level everybody else out. No, who's that guy? That's the tougher question. Who is that guy? I, I don't know. You would think you would think Javon Quinterly makes sense with the experience that he's had and with where he's been in his career and the success that he's had in his career. Uh, but there are multiple guys. Why can't David Jones be that guy? You know, why, why can't Jaquan Walton be that guy? I know Jaquan's not necessarily the most vocal guy in the world, but – they have guys that have been in different scenarios like I'm talking about and have been in big game moments, have been in conference tournaments, NCAA tournaments, have been on successful teams, know what it takes to have success as a team, and those guys have to make it happen. You know, it, Maybe it's one of those scenarios where they have to have a, a players-only meeting and have a, have a come-to-Jesus meeting and figure those things out, but something's got to give there. Yep. Now, last thing for Christian Fowler at C. Fowler, BCM senior writer and content creator for Bluff City Media. Jordan Brown is going to make his return to the floor here at some point. Um, he looked a little bit skinnier. I'll give him his credit. It looked like since he's been some time away, yeah. he's lost a little bit of weight. Maybe he's in a little bit more uh, more shape, but we, we shall see. Um, is this risky? How risky is this to bring Jordan Brown back into the fold with with the team and in its current state, where they're sort of missing that emotional leader? Seems like a lot of guys, as soon as Jordan Brown tried to apologize, were not totally on board with him returning. How do you feel about this, and how risky do you think it is? I mean, I definitely think it's risky. I think you're you're talking about already having chemistry issues and things being off, and this could only make things worse, and I don't know the correlation here. All, all I can do is tell you what's happened. Uh, as soon as Jordan Brown left the team, they won 10 straight. Rumors start swirling that he's potentially coming back. They lose two straight. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be like, I, I don't know. I don't know right. if that has any correlation or not. Um, but I definitely think it's risky because you were in a good position. And I know people will say the front court's a little bit thin. You know, you got Malcolm, you got Nick Jordan, and you got Naquan Tomlin, and past that, 
if there's an injury or something happens. We know they've had players in foul trouble in the front court, so you have people saying that it's good to have that insurance, especially if he is even half the player that most of us thought he was going to be going into the year. But to me, it's still risky just behind the scenes. On the floor, I don't think it's really risky because if if it pans out and he does play better, then it's obviously going to make you better as a team. It's going to make you deeper in the front court. To me, the riskiness and the worry from it all comes behind the scenes and in the locker room because how do these guys feel about him leaving and now coming back? I, I just I don't I don't know what kind of turmoil that creates in the locker room. So to me, that's definitely where the risk lies. Now I'll say this: it feels like, and I think you'll sort of back me up on this. It feels like. There were a lot more guys that were um, against this than were for it, but it sounds like the staff, Penny Hardaway, um, ultimately made the decision to to bring him back in this moment. Because I think at the end of the day, you're talking about a Lou Henson Award winner, a guy that you expected to be a lot when he came in, and it didn't really pan out that way. But still, to have that type of guy on the bench playing spurts, playing smaller minutes, you still feel good about what you have. But that's the risk I, I think you run is if it doesn't work out and he still has that ego and he still is uh, uh, disenthused, unenthused with his uh, playing time, um, I think you could even uh, risk sort of bringing this team chemistry down further than it than it already has been. Yeah, absolutely. That, that, that risk is 100% present. And you would hope after everything that's happened that he would buy into whatever role the coaching staff has in mind for him. You would like to think that you know, even if there are players on the team that didn't necessarily agree with the move that he's able to show them in practice and behind the scenes and meetings and whatever else, that he's 100% there, he's 100% bought in. He's, you know, like you said, not being enthusiastic, that he is enthusiastic, that he wants to be there regardless of what that means and looks like on the floor. If he buys in, it could bring this team chemistry back together. It could right the ship. Mm-hmm. But if he reverts back to the way that it was before the announcement came that he was leaving, then you are in danger of really throwing this thing off. And if you look up in two months and Memphis is somehow this would be insane, but if they're somehow on the outside looking in or in one of those difficult positions where they've lost multiple games in a row, then, uh, I mean, we won't know for a fact, but it, this could be the reason. So, yes, there's there's a lot of danger involved here. Yes, sir. Well, you the man, Christian. I appreciate it. We'll do it again next week. Yes, sir. See you all back here next week. Yes, sir. That's Christian Fowler at C. Fowler BCM, senior writer and content creator for Bluff City Media. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. (sighs) Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. 
Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.